Strategic thinking for the upcoming COVID winter. But the biggest things we got to do is we got to eat healthy, we got to move our bodies, and we need to interact with each other socially. On today's program, a survey of strategic thinking from an all-star cast of thoughtful individuals. Or putting it another way, have you heard the one about the time a monk, a rabbi, and an advice columnist walked into a podcast? There's so many levels of disruption to normal life that I think we need to divide them up a little bit and adapt a strategy for each of them. I came to a place where I realized that what, what works for me in an entirely idiosyncratic way is that when I feel really squeezed and really challenged, I need to create something new. Watch something grow. I actually am like Lazarus with the plants. Give me a dying plant and I will coax it back to life. Staying healthy, staying sane, and staying engaged this winter on the Hear Me Now podcast from the Providence Institute for Human Caring. Hello, I'm Sean Collins. Thanks for spending time with us today. Here's the reason we're even raising the issue. All the restrictions we have faced in the Northern Hemisphere during this pandemic have come during the spring and summer. So outdoor recreation has been an easy option for most of us. Outdoor dining has been a vital connection to the restaurant industry. Spending time with friends and neighbors in your backyard has been an option. Yes, you've maintained your distance, but you've managed to stay connected. If you live somewhere where there will be a foot of snow on the ground in six weeks, that's going to be a little harder to do. So we asked the question early, what might some strategies be for making it through this first COVID winter? On our last episode, Dr. Robin Henderson, a clinical psychologist, offered some great advice. Let me remind you of what she said. It's going to start to get dark and cold, but we kind of had a preview of this with the wildfires here in Oregon, where people really couldn't go outside and and you really had to stay um, in your home uh, or wherever it was that you were. Making sure that you've got that schedule of times that you're going to interact with people virtually as much as you can. Um, it might be a really great time to join a virtual book club, to join a virtual support group. You know, If you think that you've got a problem with substance use disorders, now's a really great time to start looking at uh, an online support group for people who are wondering if maybe they do. Um, maybe it's time to learn quilting and, and joining a quilting class online or, or taking a ballet class online because you want to learn dance. But the biggest things we got to do is we got to eat healthy, we got to move our bodies, however it is, and we need to interact with each other socially. Those are the biggest things we need to do right now. Mm-hmm. Moving your body, getting exercise, uh, is it different when you're inside and, and you don't have that great home gym? Absolutely. But I guarantee you there's a YouTube class that's going to show you how you could take a bottle of water and maybe five feet of space and get a really great workout. We've, it's really important to move our bodies and to make sure that we're, we're doing that because that's part of what helps our, our mental health. Yeah. 
we've got to be more intentional. And I guess that's the biggest thing. You have to attack this intentionally. So Thanksgiving means that you're probably not going to get on plane and fly to grandma's house this year. What are you going to do? Are you all going to like cook the same recipes together and then have a Zoom call where you share your your turkey failure? Right. (laughs) You know, how do we make this potentially fun? Right. Because our holidays aren't going to be the same. How are we going to make them different? Are we going to do a cookie exchange by everybody cooks a, a five dozen cookies and you mail a dozen to each of your five friends so everybody gets five dozen different cookies? Uh, let's get creative and let's share those ideas through social media. I mean, that's the other yep. thing. Right. Digital wellness is more important than ever because social media is how we connect with each other these days. That's part of our social framework and social network. That's Robin Henderson. Chief Executive of Behavioral Health at Providence, Oregon, in Portland. Dr. Henderson was our guest on our last episode, which I really recommend to you. Look for mental health and the pandemic at hearmenowpodcast.org. That's where all of our past episodes are archived. We have lots of great guests lined up for you this hour, including banjo player Joe Newberry in North Carolina, We'll check in with syndicated columnist Amy Dickinson in upstate New York, and we'll pay a visit to the city that care forgot when we pull up a chair at Gwen Tompkins' kitchen table in New Orleans. Settle in and stay with us on the Hear Me Now podcast. Catherine Stifter is a restorative movement instructor in Northern California, and she joins me now. Catherine, as you look ahead to the change of season, what do you think some strategies might be? Wow, it's kind of daunting with the COVID restrictions because people have spent so much time outside and using the outdoors to get away from feeling cooped up and to also kind of maintain their exercise. Mm -hmm. And so as the weather turns um, bad and people don't want to be walking in the rain or snow, we have to figure out some new strategies for moving more at home. And I think we can look not necessarily to exercise, but look to natural movements uh, and ways to change the environment to help us move more in every room of the house. What do you mean? Well, I mean that, you know, uh, modern humans have all the conveniences. We have everything within reach. We've got chairs that lift us up and set us down. We don't have to do the things that the human body was designed to do much anymore. And the more we let our environment um, shape us, kind of the less we know how to do with our bodies. A lot of people are in pain, and what happens is they start padding and casting themselves into these comfy chairs, or they don't even reach overhead anymore. There's nothing we have to reach for. So there's some ways that you can arrange your kitchen or your um, seating areas or your rec rooms or even your computer workspace to make it easier for your body to enjoy the freedom of movement that human bodies should have. Okay, so give us a couple of concrete examples of what those might be. Okay, I'm drinking a cup of coffee. It's morning for me right now. And I put my coffee beans in my grinder and my filters down on a low shelf. 
So if I want caffeine in the morning, I have to bend down and get that stuff. And not only that, but I just pick them up one at a time. I bend down for the beans. I bend down for the grinder and down for the filters. And that bending down helps my legs strengthen. It helps my back be out of pain. I've got the strength to get down into a little squat and then get back up. Why? Because I want my coffee. <laughs> so I've created an environment that invites me to move, that asks me and encourages me to move in different ways than I would. That's brilliant. Well, thank you. It's, <laughs> I stole it from someone else. You know, I got the ideas from some of my teachers, but it just seems so easy. Right. It's like adding the smallest little bit of movement, but knowing that you're going to be doing it every day over the course of a month actually starts to add up. Absolutely. Consistency is the number one uh, way to make change. Any other um, tips for adding movement to your day? Absolutely. So one of the big things that I work with people is on balance and falls. And as we're aging, we tend to lose balance. But it's not just about the age of our cells or muscles. It's about how we don't let our feet breathe, literally. So many people wear shoes or slippers or, um, you know, keep their feet in shoes, especially if there's pain. We've got people that have plantar fasciitis and all kinds of foot aches and pains. Um, I recommend that you take your shoes off at home, you know, start there. Notice how your feet are responding to the textures and temperatures of the floors. Um, and wiggle your toes around. If you want your feet to feel better, you actually have to get your feet moving. There's so many nerve endings in your feet. And the shoes that we usually wear have created shapes of our feet that are shoe-shaped, not foot-shaped. So we want to get back to natural foot shape, and that'll be better for weak arches and bunions and poor posture, all of that. Our whole program of, move, of restorative movement starts from the ground up, and you can make a really simple change just by kicking your shoes off when you come home. You immediately feel more grounded. It's amazing. Yeah, literally. You have contact with the surfaces that you're walking on. And not only that, but, you know, the opportunity to walk on hardwood floors and carpeting and and step over the things that you've left on the ground, uh, step over your pets and do all that stuff. It just gives us opportunity to move more of us down to the cellular level. And that's kind of the problem. You know, maybe we can reach our arms over our heads once in a while. We remember to do something like that, but we're not necessarily remembering to get into all the sticky spots that kind of clump up and cause pain. So um, once you're in pain, it's hard to move. And that's kind of the paradox here is like keep moving in a gentle way without having to move in a you know having to go to the gym and lift 100 pounds you don't have to get there it's that consistency that you were talking about that's so important yeah this is really good advice i think i want to add just one bit of caution about being barefoot at home and that's i'm diabetic and i have peripheral neuropathy so i don't have full feeling in my feet Mm -hmm. And it can be dangerous for me to be barefoot because I can actually step on something and not realize that I've cut myself or injured my foot. So if you are going to be barefoot, I would really recommend that people be really vigilant about um, monitoring their foot and making sure that their skin is intact and that they haven't injured their foot. That's a really good point. Any of these kinds of movements, I, you want to stay within the boundaries of what your body is capable right today. Maybe you take your shoes off while you're watching TV or when you're doing a chore in a place where it's easy for you to have a safe place to be. 
And then, you know, you put your shoes back on. This doesn't have to be 24-7. We just want to um, put a little extra movement naturally into our days. Catherine, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. And um, uh, I hope you have a good COVID winter. Thank you. Catherine Stifter is a restorative movement instructor in Northern California. I have always loved doing outdoor activities and basically anything that has to do with animals. Maisie B is 11 years old and she lives in New Mexico. I have to come up with different COVID safe situations so I can do things with friends or family members, something like skiing or sledding or even just going on a walk by your house or taking dogs on a walk with a friend or just your dogs. <laughs> it's a lot more COVID safe because you're outside and there's air flowing around you and it's just a lot more wonderful. And that way you can also have some human socialization. There's yurts that are up in the mountains that you can rent out and ski up to or go even just drive up to them or just take a nice long walk to them and spend the night there and just have a good time. It's always really refreshing and nice to be in the mountains. That's what I think anyway. Another thing is fostering animals, which has to do with animals, so obviously my favorite. It's really wonderful because that way you are doing a good deed and you are supporting your local shelter. And you get to have a kitten or a puppy or something at the house and you get a new buddy or something that you can focus your time on. And it's just always wonderful to have that kind of connection. And that's really all I can think of. Always wear your masks and make sure you hand sanitize and just be safe in general. Um, thank you for letting me be on the show. <laughs> Dom Christopher Jamison is a Benedictine monk and the abbot president of the English Benedictine Congregation. He's the author of the book Finding Happiness, Monastic Steps for a Fulfilling Life. He joins me now from London. Abbot Christopher, I'm so glad to welcome you. It's my pleasure, Sean, to be in touch with you and in touch with the United States. As we head into this change of seasons and the Northern Hemisphere faces winter with less daylight and colder weather, what strategies do you think might especially be helpful during a pandemic year? Well, there's a number of things going on at the moment, aren't there? There's so many levels of disruption to normal life that I think we need to divide them up a little bit and adapt a strategy for each of them. First of all, there is a considerable amount of fractious behavior in our political and social life mm. with safety measures becoming politicized. I know that's um, much more the case in the US than in Europe, but it's starting in Europe as well. I think that's something to just acknowledge that is going to stay with us. And don't think it's just America, it, it, it is happening everywhere. And that leads us, I think, into reflecting on anger and finding it difficult to control our reactions. And one of the ways we can do that is by acknowledging that my reaction is my reaction, and it's not the fault of the person whose attitude I am objecting to. So I have to take responsibility for my own emotions and reactions during this difficult time. Now, if I do that, I can then start to think of ways to actually adjust that behavior by instead of getting angry with a person, with a television screen, with the government, 
I could actually say, look, um, let's talk. I'll talk about this with somebody else. I'll get it out of my system, but in a way that's productive um, as opposed to just blaming the other. For those of your listeners who are familiar with the, the first Christian monks and nuns who lived in the deserts in Egypt and Syria, they were the first cognitive behavior therapists because they identified how people got angry with objects. And so famously one day, a hermit got angry with his penknife because it wasn't sharp enough. And the hermit had enough self-awareness to say, who's got the problem, the penknife or me? <laughs> and I think that's a very salutary example. You know, if I get angry, I am the one with the problem. And when you, when I say that to people, they tend to get very angry, which is um, interesting reaction. I've been so impressed by our staunch inability to be generous with one another when faced with the exact same threat. Yeah, I, I, I agree, and we, we have to learn to contain our. And and it's interesting, you know, you you find yourself getting annoyed over small things. So if you get onto um, a public bus or a public underground train in London and you see somebody else not wearing a mask, you can get irritated because the, the rules of the transportation system are you must always wear a, a face covering when you're in a train or a bus. So I think to myself, well, if I get, I say, why am I getting irritated? This is ridiculous. You know, <laughs> um, Maybe it's not good that he's not wearing one, but my getting irritated doesn't achieve anything except gets me upset. I, I do find, though, that just recognizing that I'm now getting irritated and why am I getting irritated is a great first step to not being irritated. I can choose to step away from it. But I, I think then the other issue that's coming, I don't know what's happening with you, but gradually the universal lockdown that Europe experienced in March and April is now coming back step by step across Europe and certainly coming step by step here in, in England. We're going to have to get used to, I think, more restrictions. And so we're going to spend more time at home and we're going to be facing again. How do I cope with um, all these hours stretching out in front of me? I think that's the, the second area that we, we should look at. And I, for me, the answer is um, create a pattern. And again, what's really interesting is the, the monastic tradition and the psychologists all say that both say the same thing. You know, the monastic tradition is, uh, you know, throughout the day we ring a bell and we stop and say some prayers. And uh, as, as those who've been in monasteries will know, the good thing about when the bell goes for prayers, you know, that after prayers, there's nearly always food. <laughs> and um, so it's a bit of a Pavlovian thing, you know, oh, if I go to prayers, I might get some lunch. Um, and that the, it's that pattern of, you know, prayer and food and community and recreation, but done in a, a pattern so that I know there's a moment to begin. And above all, I know there's a moment to stop. I know there's a moment to stop at midday. I know there's a moment to stop at night. I know there's a moment in the morning to get up in the morning. <laughs> um, and the psychologists during the pandemic are all saying that, you know, you need a pattern. And that's exactly what the monastic tradition has always offered. And in the in the darkness of winter, that's especially important, I think, because that's the third area we've got to watch out for is uh, depression. There is this very real condition, seasonal affective disorder, and the acronym is SAD, which is, of course, a, a very expressive acronym for that condition. And I think we all suffer from a variant on seasonally affective disorder, which we have to acknowledge again. If I'm feeling down, 
that is normal. Something hasn't suddenly gone terribly wrong. It's actually one of the effects of winter. And it's why, you know, the, the mid-winter festival is such an important feature of, uh, of life, which, of course, we Christians cleverly colonized and made it the date for the birth of Christ. But it, 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 the need to cheer up the midwinter, you know, is as old as the midwinter solstice celebrations. So we, we need to acknowledge that. We need to take steps against it. Steps like phoning up friends, um, meeting friends online. If you can meet friends in person, make the effort. Uh, phoning up the person we know who might suffer, especially at this time from the darkness, phoning them up and asking how they are. That does two things. It cheers them up. But it also makes me feel good, quite rightly, that I've remembered to give them that call mm -hmm. and to, to, to support each other. So mutual support is the ultimate response, I think, to that sadness that comes upon us in winter. And, and meeting its final joyful expression of mutual support in Christmas celebrations. So, you know, coping with our anger, creating a pattern, recognizing the sadness of winter, but insisting that it can be overcome and, and even joyfully overcome. These are three steps I would I would offer people as we enter this difficult season in this most difficult era of history. All good ideas. There are more good practical ideas for coping with the isolation of the pandemic on the website that you had a hand in creating, alonetogether.org.uk. It's brilliantly conceived and designed, so nicely done. There's a link on our own website, Hear Me Now Podcast. Org. Tom Christopher Jamison is the Abbot President of the English Benedictine Congregation. We reached him in London. Abbot Christopher, thanks so much for talking with us. Yeah, Sean, it's lovely to talk to you. God bless. Bye-bye. Joe Newberry is known around the world for his claw hammer banjo playing. In addition to being a terrific guitarist, singer-songwriter, and teacher, appearing regularly at camps and festivals here in the U.S. and abroad, Joe Newberry joins me now from his home in North Carolina. Hiya, Joe. Sean, it's good to hear you. <laughs> well, it's good to hear you, too. So during the pandemic, you have made what I call the great Corona Zoom pivot. You've moved your songwriting classes online. How's that been going? It's been going well to have the songwriting classes uh, over Zoom. You know, we are adaptable creatures, we humans. And um, I have learned on Zoom that when you say something mildly amusing or you say something heartfelt, you have to wait for five to seven seconds and then people react. <laughs> and if you if you don't, You'll, you'll, your, your spirit will be crushed. Joe, this is a, a naive question. It's sort of the chicken and the egg question from a musical outsider. But what comes first, the, the melody or the lyric? Every song is different. Sometimes I will have a melody that just won't let me rest, and I'll put words to it. Sometimes a phrase will come down in my head. Um, sometimes it comes down all of a piece. I like the notion of using an established melody and song as sort of like a template. For instance, this land is your land. I called that the equivalent of a haiku because the form is right there. You know, haiku is 575. Even if people have never written a song, I say, try and plug in new words and see what you can do with it because that was part of Woody Guthrie's genius. 
that's really kind of brilliant. You know, um, you have a couple recordings from past classes up on YouTube, and there's a really great example of uh, of a woman using this land as your land as a template. Maybe we could listen to that for just a second. Um, am I on? You are. Nice. Uh, took the kid to the dentist, sunflowers growing. I saw above me how endless time flies. I saw below me pandemic boredom trials. This class was made for you and me. I love listening to that little snippet that she wrote because she was telling the truth. And that's something that songwriting really does is it allows us to, to tell the truth. You know, um, she was writing about something that meant something to her. Say this winter, someone wanted to try their hand at songwriting while they're a little bit more isolated at home. What do you think the first, absolute first step might be for them? First step in writing a song would be to take the piece of paper and start at the top left and start writing about your day yesterday. Write as fast as you can and as hard as you can and do not lift your pen from the paper. In other words, keep writing from left to right, get to the, to the right edge of the paper and just swoop back. It's going to be a little messy, but what I want you to do is write and write and write for about 10 minutes. Then I want you to stop. I want you to read over it, if you can, <laughs> read over it, circle some power words, circle some things, and notice that you probably wrote some things that you did not mean to write. That's you getting around your governor that you place on yourself every day. Uh, sometimes, I will, I'll ask people to do that in an exercise in class and I'll hear them gasp and I'll, I'll know what's happened and I'll say, what's up with that gasp? Well, I didn't mean to write that. And I'll say, do you, do you feel okay about sharing it? Sometimes they say no and we move on. Sometimes they say yes. And when they, when they read it out loud, it's a truth. Isn't that remarkable? And that's where you start a song. The great Bill Monroe said that um, the best songs are true songs. Now, I've expanded that to say that a song doesn't have to be true, but it has to be true to life. Because our late and dear John Hartford would say the audience can spot a phony from the back row. I have a song template that I give the class at the uh, my classes at the end of the session. It's a verse that I have written, and then I ask them to write a, a response verse in the same style. Huh. So what I give them is, farewell, dear friends, I bid you peace. The time has come for us to part. Your loving ways give my soul ease and I will keep you in my heart. And it's amazing what people will come up with. And I've been doing this for, I don't know, four or five years now in, in every songwriting class, and I've got over a hundred verses that people have written. Wow. Someday I'm going to have 
a, a singing of every verse. Wouldn't that be wonderful? <laughs> it'd be a, it'd be a cool thing to to have. And um, you know, some of some of them are very personal. Some of them are are very broad and cosmic. But it's really fun to see what people come up with. Have you set those lyrics to um, to music? I have. I have. I I put together sort of uh, a, a melody that that harkens back to shape note. It is a little melancholy at the end because, you know, that's kind of what life well, Joe, is. Joe, I don't know if you've noticed, but we're in the middle of a pandemic, so uh, so some melancholy uh, might just yes. be appropriate. Would you be willing to play us out with that? Uh, I, would, I would be honored to. My verse is the first, and then I'll add a couple more. Farewell, dear friends, I bid you peace. The time has come for us to part Your loving ways give my soul ease And I will keep you in my heart We turn to the words, the melodies Right now we have so much to say When I feel lost and the words don't come I'll conjure the words we share today. I'll long recall the times we've shared, filled with laughter, joy, and tears. The miles cannot dissolve our bond. I'll bear your blessing through the years. Joe Newberry is a singer-songwriter, teacher, guitarist, and banjo player. We reached him at home in North Carolina. Joe, thank you. Thank you for having me, and uh, stay safe, stay well, wear that mask. You likewise, my friend. Still to come, conversation with syndicated columnist Amy Dickinson up in New York State, and we'll hear from Gwen Tompkins in New Orleans, and James Stone Goodman, my favorite poet rabbi. All to come on the Hear Me Now podcast. Stay with us. Amy Dickinson writes the syndicated advice column, Ask Amy, which is read by more than 22 million people every morning. A best-selling author, her books include The Mighty Queens of Freeville and Strangers Tend to Tell Me Things. 
She's a regular panelist on the public radio quiz show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Amy Dickinson joins us now from her home in Freeville, New York. Amy, it's so good to talk to you. Hi. Hi, Sean. Nice to talk to you. So for anyone who lives in a place where it's going to be hard to spend more time outside in the winter, this change of season that we're facing with the pandemic is calling on some strategic thinking from us. What's in your head? Well, I'm dreading it myself. I live in a famously harsh climate that's also happens to be very, very gray. There's no escaping. There's no escaping. So, <laughs> number one, go outside, stand in the cold. I, I recently, um, I forced myself to swim last week in Maine. Yeah. And the water was 50 degrees. I honestly, I just wore my clothes and my sneaks. But while I was out there in the water, I honestly had a bit of a, an epiphany. And it was about pushing myself in ways that I can, not in ways that other people can. And one thing I think it, it gets a little confusing because on social media you keep seeing people are quilting and they're learning to play the violin and you would think looking on instagram that everybody has a sourdough starter happening <laughs> and and i'm just not like that and i think the more i apply that sort of metric to myself the harder things have been for me yeah so speaking for me walk around even around up and down the hallway in your apartment building mm-hmm watch something grow. I actually am like Lazarus with the plants. Give me a dying plant and I will coax it back to life. I will watch it and feed it and trim it. And, you know, I think this is especially great for kids. If you can have something flowering inside your home, I think that's fantastic. Right, right. You know, the last thing I think is... And the, the dawning of awareness of this for me has honestly led me into crisis off and on. We are in this for a very long time. And so in the middle of the summer, I remember thinking, oh, in September, you know, things are going to be great. And then this realization that, no, actually, that's it's not going to be like that. It's helped me, it might not help somebody else, but honestly it has helped me to sort of cancel everything. That means, honestly, this year, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Mm -hmm. And my husband is one of 13, mm -hmm. and I also come from a big family, and we're all um, very into our families, and we have these very large, wonderful celebrations. But I realized that what I needed was not to keep myself on the hook, but to let myself off the hook. Yeah. And to just say, it's not, it's not happening. Right. You know, so often these days, I think of World War II and the Blitz. You know, I lived in England for about five years, and I knew an older woman there who had been through the Blitz. And... Um, it lasted for four and a half years, you know? That's disruption, um, illness, death. Constantly. 
and falling from the sky falling from the sky and i'm and you know i'm not saying we can all like keep calm and carry on because i know that people suffered and they they their mental health definitely suffered but i do think that it it helps me to think about other crises world crises where people have been displaced dislocated um for long periods of time right you know there's a phrase in judaism passover next year in jerusalem yes that feels like it echoes here which is right we'll do it by ourselves this year but next year we'll be together right right it's like just look ahead right exactly the world only spins forward that's right and also i i just think on some level it's wise depending on the temperament of your family system to just say not to slam the door but just to say this is where i am you know i think we're going to have to cancel and if it turns out that we don't have to cancel we'll do something scaled down but let's just assume that it's not going to happen you know an idea that i've been tossing around in my head and thinking about suggesting to my family is keeping our distance from one another but setting up a four or five hour long zoom call where we put a laptop in everyone's kitchen and people walk in and out and you catch who you catch and it's like hanging out with one another in the kitchen I love that. I think on Thanksgiving Day it would be really, really, really fun and wonderful to do that. And you can just see what people are doing. I mean, if if you weren't able to criticize your brother-in-law for opening a can of cranberry sauce and pushing it out of the can from one end, I mean, wh- what use is there to have a holiday? Yeah, exactly. And you know, by then the election will be over and we'll find something else to fight about. From your lips to God's ear. Amy Dickinson, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us. Thank you, Sean. I really, really appreciate it. And I appreciate the wisdom um, you're offering. It's, It's really helpful. Amy Dickinson writes the syndicated advice column, Ask Amy. She spoke with us from her home in Freeville, New York. James Stone Goodman describes himself as a student of the word as it intersects with music and poetry. He's on the rabbinic team of Central Reform Congregation in St. Louis, and he joins us now. Rabbi, thanks for taking the time to chat with me. Hey, that's a nice introduction, and I love chatting with you. (laughs) We've been thinking about ways to stay safe and healthy and engaged as we move into the winter with this pandemic. Um, a season that's likely to mean a little more isolation for a lot of us. And I so admire the way that your brain and your heart work. And I'm wondering what you're thinking in terms of winter strategies for this year in particular. How far out can you want me to go? (laughs) Go as far out as we need to go. (laughs) All right, Val. I'm letting it loose now. Here's one thing I learned in the last couple of weeks. We, uh, I, I started calling this uh, condition a squeeze. Squeezed, not in a good sense. I used to call something else squeeze. I've been starting to call this condition that we're in, the squeeze. 
and every chapter about it is uh, varieties of abnormal, you know? There's abnormal to the first degree, <laughs> abnormal squared, abnormal to the third degree, etc. And we're, we're into such abnormal now that uh, my response uh, kept accelerating with the abnormality of the squeeze. Hmm. And I came to a place where I realized that what, what works for me in an entirely idiosyncratic way is that when I feel really squeezed and really challenged, I need to create something new. Or I need to look at another category that we have, especially Jews have, this uh, category of old new, old slash new. Hmm. Uh, we have a category like uh, one of the old synagogues of Prague is called the Alt Neuschul, the old new synagogue. It's a category that's old and new. And what it really means is a, is a serious renewal, such a renewal that you might not even recognize the original. And that's what works for me. I need to renew by doing something new. So one of the things that my wife and I decided to do was uh, we felt a, an extra measure of squeeze a couple of weeks back. And we said, we got to do something tomorrow. So we started to, we unpacked the Psalms, something old, in a new way that we had never done before. And it was entirely a response to the squeeze that we felt from this period. And what we did was we started taking them in order. I said, let's just... Let's just pull one up every every day in order, one, two, three, four, five, and talk about them, and then I'll write a piece about what we talked about. Mm. And we went on Zoom with this, and we found it to be much more right than we realized going into it. Well, the great thing, you know, about the Psalms, you know this better than I do, is that they really do cover the full gamut of human emotion. Oh, man. Plus, they're not afraid of talking about the dark side, yeah. you know? Yeah. Talking about the challenges and talking about the, the difficulties all around us. And I really appreciated the honesty of that, you know? Yeah. And then, since we started doing that, we entered in another measure, another acceleration of squeeze. And so we said, well, what else? Well, we came to another old and new principle, and that is don't practice aloneness. And to make sure we find somebody or a few somebodies to make sure we're connected with and connected with and connected with so that we don't practice aloneness. Does that always get mediated through things like Zoom and video calls, or is it taking walks with people, or is it is it phone calls or letters, or how are you staying connected with people? Well, I have all of the above. I've actually started writing letters again. I mean, that's interesting you should mention that, because I hadn't written a letter in a couple of years, you know. I also spent more time on the phone than I had before, and I, 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 I set myself a, a time every day to say, make sure you call somebody today, or call this person today, or call especially this person that you weren't likely to call today. And I make a little list for myself, call today. Mm -hmm. And there are a few people who actually do like what you mentioned. There is a guy I meet in the park. One guy I walk with is pal of mine. And, uh, you know, it's just a few people for those kinds of contacts, but each one has this kind of separate dear place in my life. It's more dear now because of the squeeze. You know, one of the ways I'm Finding I'm connecting with people 
I am hanging out in the evening at 5.15 with the people who are praying Vespers with the community at Conception Abbey up in the northwest corner of Missouri. They've been streaming their liturgies during the pandemic. And there are are probably about uh, 25, 30 people who show up almost every night on their YouTube channel and you see their names pop up on the comment column. And there's a little community that has formed. Yeah. (laughs) People people look out for one another. And then you find out this guy's from Baltimore. This woman is in Brazil. Yeah. This person is somewhere in West Africa watching this monastic community in Missouri. And there's something about it happening live that is what is life-giving about it. It's not the same as watching a taped liturgy. You know, some of that is happening, too, with our psalm thing that we do in the morning. People come from around and check in with us and say, I love that one yesterday, and I love that one the other day. And, you know, it's that one door closes, one door opens thing. And so much in this period has burned off, I think, and... I'm happy to jettison a lot of it, to be honest with you. Some of it needed Mm -hmm. to be... And then other things started to rise that surprised me that were very beautiful and necessary. And that's what it feels like to me. James Stone Goodman is on the rabbinic staff at Central Reformed Congregation in St. Louis. He's a poet and musician, and he's worked in addiction support and mental health and prison outreach. We reached him at his home in St. Louis. Rabbi, thanks for the conversation. Hey, thanks for checking with me, Sean. Always a pleasure. Gwen Tompkins is a journalist and writer and the host of Public Radio's Music Inside Out, which comes from New Orleans, her hometown, which just happens to be where she is right this very minute. Gwen, thanks for taking the time to be with us. I'm so happy to be with you, Sean. I'm so happy you could be here. So the idea that I pitched to you was, what if someone decided to take the winner to dig deep to learn more about jazz? Where might they begin? How might they go about that happy task? Well, Sean, as you know, I have poo-pooed this idea. Yes. I, I poo-poo your idea because I do not believe that uh, it's really possible for someone like me to sort of impose my will upon music lovers. Uh, my list, which I, of course I have made because I love you and I, I always do what you ask me to do, um, but my list is mine and mine alone. I cannot tell you to listen to these songs, but I'm going to tell you what I'm going to be listening to over the winter. Okay. Fair enough. And yet here you are with a list. So Indeed. it's true. I'm highly suggestible and I'm always in your thrall. How does the list begin? One of the things that I have a difficult time doing in winter is getting out of bed. And that's in large part because I've spent most of the night creating the perfect blanket flow over my body. And I just want to stay in because I'm really comfortable. But I've got to have some kind of inspiration to get up. And so what I do is I try to listen to a song called Great Day by Sarah Vaughan. It's from an album called The Explosive Side of Sarah Vaughan. And indeed, it is quite explosive, right? From 1963. If this can't get you out of bed, then you're dead, my friend. You're dead. When skies were dark, came Noah's Ark, aim. 
What a great tune. You know, all of this music that Gwen has put together for Gwen to listen to, and then she'll let us listen to it too, is available on a Spotify playlist, and it's on our website, hearmenowpodcast.org. Gwen, second item that you want to pull out from the playlist, what do you want to talk about? Okay, I should mention that there are 17 songs on my playlist, right? So this is hard. This is a Solomonic yeah, choice. I know. That I know. This is, I'm asking you to do the impossible. Okay, yes, you are. You really are. And, um, and so, but I'm going to go, I'm going to go to my favorite musician of all time, Louis Armstrong, and um, an extraordinary recording he made in 1947 with uh, his uh, All-Stars. This is um, the second iteration of the All-Stars, but the beginning of the All-Stars idea, which was a smaller combo. And um, in 1947, he was at Symphony Hall with the All-Stars um, in Boston, and they played the most gorgeous and sensual song that maybe I've ever heard in his repertoire, and um, or one of them. And it's Body and Soul. And of course, there are a million versions of Body and Soul. And it's a, it's a classic of jazz. It is, every version is perfect. This one is just more perfect. One thing that's really gorgeous about the song is that Armstrong does not play lead on this song. The song's lead instrument is clarinet. Clarinet played by Barney Bigard, who was a, not only one of the great clarinet players of the 20th century, he played in um, Duke Ellington's orchestras as well as uh, Armstrong's. He is uh, responsible for the song Mood Indigo. Barney Bigard, you know. Another beautiful, beautiful tune. Oh my gosh, it's so sensual. And uh, winter is, you know, it is a, a sensual time. People think, you know, tend to think of it being a very spare time of like, you know, I mean, leaves having fallen from the trees, but boy, there's a lot still going on in that tree. <laughs> you know, and um, it's a beautiful recording and it's an excellent example of musicians who are enjoying what they're doing on stage and, and surprising each other. So there's actually a moment, and you should listen for it, there's a moment in the song where the guard plays, I think there's three notes in this really unexpected way and Armstrong, you can hear Armstrong go, ah, you know, because he's so enjoying it. Isn't that wonderful when you hear moments like that in live recordings? Yes. This is the greatest gift that one musician can give to another. Mm. You see, but when you're on stage and, and one musician is just has to just uh, share how much they admire what the other person is doing on stage, it's really gorgeous. It's a, yeah. it's a great moment. So all good things have to come to an end, Gwen, including playlists. Where where does yours take us? Well, my playlist ends. The seventeenth song is uh, is a Bill Evans song. It's a classic, also um, of twentieth century post-war jazz, and uh, it's called Peace, Peace. <laughs> <laughs> 
It is a beautiful ballad. Spare, gorgeous timing, lovely use of space. It's a calming song. Mm. And if I begin my, my day and my playlist with the great day, which seems to like be shot out of a cannon, then I want to end the day, you know what I mean, with a centering piece of music that reminds me um, that there is good in the world, that, that there's beauty in the world, and that, uh, and that humankind is really capable of peace. It's a good thing to be reminded of days like today. Gwen Tompkins is a journalist and writer and the host of Public Radio's Music Inside Out. She spoke with us from New Orleans, her hometown. Gwen, thank you so much. Thank you, Sean. All of Gwen's musical choices are on a Spotify playlist, which you can hear at hearmenowpodcast.org. What I would recommend for someone my age to stay healthy and engaged this coming winter during the pandemic is to not go to your friend's house without necessary precautions. Allie is 12 years old and lives in the state of Washington. Instead, have a Zoom meeting with them. I, for one, have been having weekly Zoom meetings with my best friend. And even though it's non-person, it's a great way to talk to her without putting my health at risk. Also, there's a lot of things you can do to stay engaged with your family and friends, a lot of it virtually, like watching a movie or a baking contest with your family or friends. All of this you can do via Zoom, and it's a great way to stay engaged, all while having fun and staying healthy. What I am planning to do this upcoming winter is try out a variety of new hobbies, like holiday DIY crafts, and crocheting, and even poetry. So my piece of advice is, always try out new hobbies, try something different. Because even though this global pandemic is occurring, you can still engage and have fun with your family and friends. Our thanks to Allie and Maisie, whom you heard earlier, and to all our guests this hour. Robin Henderson is the Chief Executive for Behavioral Health for Providence, Oregon. Be sure to catch our last episode with Dr. Henderson on mental health and the pandemic at hearmenowpodcast.org. Catherine Stifter is a restorative movement instructor. You'll find a link to her website on ours. Abbot Christopher Jamison is the Abbot President of the English Benedictine Congregation. We put links to his work on our website for you to browse, including links to the Alone Together website. Joe Newberry is a musician and teacher. Links to his online songwriting classes and much, much more are on our website just waiting for you. 
Amy Dickinson is a syndicated columnist and writer and a regular panelist on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. You can connect with her at hearmenowpodcast.org. Rabbi James Stone Goodman serves Central Reform Congregation in St. Louis. Link to him on our website. And Gwen Tompkins is a writer and host of Public Radio's Music Inside Out in New Orleans. Link to Gwen at hearmenowpodcast.org. The Hear Me Now podcast is a production of the Providence Institute for Human Caring on the web at humancaring.org. Our program is produced by Scott Acord and Melody Fawcett with research librarians Heather Martin, Seema Bakta, Amanda Schwartz, and Sarah Viscuso. The executive producer is Michael Drummond. We would love to hear from you. Write to us at humancaring@providence.org. Our theme music was written by Roger Neal. I'm Sean Collins. Thanks so much for listening. Be well.